0: Hello
1: and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook, and Dean Ashton, the former West Ham striker, as we pour over some of the big transfer news that has been populating our airwaves over the course of the last uh, few days. Coming up, we'll talk Kylian Mbappe, a 300 million euro bid has gone in from Saudi club Al-Hilal and PSG say, well, you might as well talk to him. Latest from the rest of the transfer window, Wilfred Zahar is heading off to Turkey free transfer he's not getting his hair done uh we'll chat the best of the pre-season friendlies as arsenal's new look midfield struggle against manchester united harry kane apparently is up for sale because joe lewis has told daniel levy you gotta sell him you can't let him go on a free and our countdown to the new season continues we talk newcastle and wolves on the game day podcast from talk sport what's your crookie you're right I'm good. Yeah, very well. Um, did you uh, apologise to Marco Silva after questioning his loyalty to Fulham? Because actually, um, he has done very well in the fact that he has turned down that £40 million offer to go to Saudi.
2: I did. I, I issued a-, a humble apology, although my assessment was still based on his previous misdemeanours and his previous CV. But yeah, I think everybody... Even those close to him at Fulham are are surprised by this turn of events. But yes, I did admit, for once,
1: I was wrong. Uh, Listen, I think we all had to put our hands up there because quite seriously, uh, we all thought... This is a guy who hasn't spent longer than 18 months anywhere um, since he left Estoril. So there was no chance that with the lure of the Saudi cash doing the rounds, he was going to turn it down. But it turns out he did. Or has he done a Stephen Gerrard and says, no now, but if you come back with 50, I might well go. We shall see. That's me just being a little bit uh, sturry. Um Dino's here. Hello. Fellas, you OK? Yep, good. Thank you. Uh, Dino's been all around the world and to a festival, Uh, so he's a little bit, um, well, I should say disorientated because you don't know what time zone you're in, do you?
3: No, no, the jet lag, I didn't let the jet lag kick in because I went straight to the festival, and it's funny what a few (laughs) drinks can do to just help you uh, nudge along. Um, But no, yeah, I've been about, I've had the odd drip feed here and there with bad signal of of you mothering crookie through last week, I think. Um, Yeah, no, I've, I've had a nice little break.
1: Yeah, um, those of you who have been following um, the social media interchanges between me and Crook this week uh, will have seen that I had to do his ironing one day uh, <laughs> because we were staying together after doing the show, uh, the White and Jordan show. Um, I had to get him dinner most nights. Um, I had to even take him for lunch a couple of times as well, and then to the gym. And the gym was a, a an interesting experience um, because uh, Crook doesn't really want to do it, but he feels like he's got to do it. So he's sort of like, oh, okay, begrudgingly just about getting on the treadmill. And then when he gets off the treadmill, he goes, yeah, that was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, only stopped once, that's fine. <laughs> just like know. that. Yeah, it was, was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was very tired though, Dean, after playing uh, 18 holes of St. Andrews uh, as well last week. Um, he said, God, it takes it out of you, doesn't it? I went, you did play it on a simulator, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long week. It was a long week. Um, It's been a long week for Fulham. Uh, We mentioned uh, Marco Silva, but Perlini has picked up a horrible injury as well and could be out for a little while, which is a bit of a worry uh, for them. Best wishes to him. I mean, he was in talks or there was talks about him possibly going to West Ham United, but that may well have to hold off now because of the injury. But the big news comes from France. Let's talk about Kylian Mbappé, the French superstar, once again in the headlines, but once again in the headlines because he's thinking about a move. Well, PSG are certainly thinking about a move. They're saying his future lies elsewhere.
0: Kylian Mbappé, who has been left out of the squad for their pre-season tour of Japan.
1: This is Paris Saint-Germain trying to control the uncontrollable.
3: You know, he stayed against all his instincts last year. And look, he's not going mis- to make a mistake like that again.
1: There are Saudi clubs who are believed to be prepared to chuck a huge amount of money at, at this, but also... To just bring him in for a year.
2: Al Hillel, who have offered 259 million for Paris Saint Germain. You know, it's really hard to imagine someone saying no to 700 million euros. It's a staggering amount of money.
3: Here we are. This is what you've got. This is what football has reaped. I just don't think he can say no to that kind of money. Money talks, and you know what walks. That's just life. Money talks. So, Kylian
1: Mbappe has been left behind on the pre-season tour of Asia after telling the club he he won't sign a new deal. Now, listen, this was a long time ago now. He said, look, basically, I ain't going to sign a new deal. I'm going to leave in 12 months' time. There was an option, an extra option on his contract. You may remember that when he signed his new deal, he held up a shirt with 2025 on it. That last year was an option in his favour. He hasn't taken that up. Says he won't take that up. So, basically, there's been a bit of a war of words, and PSG decided, and I think I said this on the White and Jordan show last week, that they were going to force him out. So the way they've tried to do this is they've basically opened him up for sale. The issue here is, is because he has got <laughs> the salary of, uh, of of a small country's GDP, and he's due a £70 million bonus at the end of the season for loyalty, they've got to charge a huge fee to get him out. So Real Madrid are not going to pay that because Real Madrid, which will be his ultimate destination... Uh, expect that he will go on a free transfer next year. So Al Hilal come along and they say, what about these bags of dollars though? Alex, what's the latest?
2: Well, I think the latest at the moment is that all the news that we're hearing is really coming out of Qatar and coming out of Paris Saint-Germain. We've had no strong indication yet that Kylian Mbappe is open to this move to Saudi Arabia. I think what we do know is that he wants to join Real Madrid next summer. So whatever happens between now and then, I don't think he's necessarily willing to scupper that. As you say, Paris Saint-Germain have made it pretty clear that having refused to sign a new contract, they're not willing to let him leave on a free transfer. I don't buy into some of the stuff that's been said about Premier League clubs, including Manchester United, interested in Mbappe. In fact, my sources at Old Trafford have distanced themselves from that possibility. And the reality is that really it's only Saudi Arabia who can afford killing Mbappe at this moment in time. No one else is going to pay £260 million and nobody else is going to offer the wages that they are. But the big question is, does Mbappe do PSG a favour, get get them a transfer fee, get him off the wage bill and go and spend a year in Saudi Arabia? Or does he sit tight and just wait for Real Madrid next summer and he's going to pick up a lucrative signing-on fee and a loyalty bonus anyway?
1: Dean, um, take us into the mind of a footballer. Will he do anybody a favour? Or if he goes to Al Hilal, is it purely so he can earn seven hundred million pounds a year?
3: Um, I think it's the latter. I think also if he wants and has made the decision to run his contract down, and he maybe has got his sights set on a Real Madrid, then him and his representatives will know that they won't—they're not going to be willing to pay, you know, a, a huge transfer fee for him. So. I mean, is he likely to win the Champions League with PSG? I don't think so. So maybe he thinks, well, I'll just take that year then, wait and then join whichever club he he feels like he he wants to. And in the meantime, earn a massive amount of money um, rather than stay where maybe it's not going to be a particularly great environment for him next season. But I think it... It, to me, it, it's, it shows as well where sort of Harry Kane is as well. In that, you know, PSG want to get some money from him. they don't want to lose this player for for nothing. But just shows the power that the players now have when you get down to those last couple of years of your contract.
1: I think this is a, a problem for PSG, and I tell you why. Because I, I'm not even necessarily sure this is about money. I think this is more about saving face, and the Qataris cannot be seen to lose face over this because they were stupidly giving him silly amounts of money. This guy got a hundred million pounds of signing on fee in 2022 or whatever it was, 2021 or whatever he signed his new contract. He got a 1 million pound a week wage deal, which takes him into the realms of ridiculous earnings. Now he's in a situation where they promised him the 70 million pound loyalty bonus. If he stays for three years of the contract, so he this year alone he is going to earn over 150 million from PSG right so therefore therefore he is actually it's probably beneficial for them to just let him go on a free today because that saves them a huge amount of money but they can't do that they can't do that because then they lose they lose in the eyes of the world they're the guilty here of giving him too much giving him too much power giving him too much money giving him too much in terms of status at that football club, so that he's the biggest thing about it now. And he's almost been able to do whatever he wants. How can you have a player that earns a million pound a week and that you spent all that cash on, not going on your pre-season tour? A pre-season tour that, let's be honest, someone probably paid for you to go on because they thought Mbappe was going to turn up. It's a major problem for PSG, and it undermines the whole project.
2: Yeah, I think they've been played for fools, really, by Mbappe. And from what we're hearing, even his own teammates are not going to be particularly disappointed to see the back of him. So I think you're right. And if you look at it, I know it's you know a different different set of Qataris officially, but it doesn't look like they're going to get their hands on Manchester United anytime soon. I think they're losing face the longer that one drags on. So I think you're right. There is a pride element at stake here. And they just want to be seen to be in control. But it's very similar to the Harry Kane-Tottenham situation, actually. It's Mbappe who holds all the cards. He will ultimately decide
1: his future. So will Kane. Yeah, so he wants to go to Madrid, but he can't go back right now. There's no way he can go back to to PSG because he has done what Harry Kane hasn't done. He has come out and basically nuked his relationship with the teammates, the club itself, the fans. So... So he, what 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 does happen to him if he goes off to Saudi if if they refuse to sell him to Real Madrid and he sits out his contract what does that look like for him over the course of the next twelve months how does that impact his career Dean
3: well we've seen we've seen this time and time again though when you've got somebody of that caliber sat there then you are you the clubs eventually going to go well we're not just going to let him sit there at home they're going to use him they, they just are and they'll 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 accept the fact. That they're then going to lose him on a free. Crookie's right. The, he is so in control of this situation, and there's absolutely nothing PSG can. All right, you know, send him home. You don't use him. But what what would be the point in in that? I just see either he's going to leave, or it'll be that little period of time where it cools off, and then he brings him back in. He starts scoring goals again. Everything's all right until he has to then leave at the end of the season but you're right I think Sam you made a great point with that. I think how they handle this now is is probably the most important thing isn't it in their eyes
1: I think the problem here is is that it's it's a symbol of the issues you have when you pay too much for a player. if you aren't prepared to lose that player on a free contract after the length of the time that you've signed him for, then you've paid too much for that player. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Because ultimately, if you're going to pay that much money for someone, it's cross-prohibitive for you to move him on. I think that's why Chelsea, Todd Bowley, and that organization, whether you think it's the right way of behaving or not, have started to give these contracts to players, and again, rightly or wrongly, seven, eight years. Because if you're going to invest that much money in someone, then you've got to make sure that whatever comes back is a return on your investment so those players that are on those long long contracts are are on those long contracts because they're not necessarily sure they're going to get all their money back when they sell them but if they were to lose them on a free they've depreciated in value they've got the benefit out of them they've used the 80 million quid or whatever it is out of mudrick after eight years being there ultimately the key problem here is the way you structure your transfer deals the way you deal with your finances and you know ffp wise Mbappe is a massive drain on anybody's resources and only the biggest and the best can afford him. I must say, if Real Madrid buy him, the other issue they've got is man management. Who on earth is going to want to have him and his entourage in the dressing room? That's going to be a nightmare, isn't it? Well, it's his mum, isn't it, who, uh, who does a lot of the uh, negotiating. So
2: mum is the word. Yeah, when but there's other people around him and he just does
1: whatever he wants to
2: do. So would you
1: have that in your dressing room? How would that go down?
2: I think he's a wonderfully talented footballer um, and I would personally love to see him in the Premier League. I'm not sure it'll ever happen because of the sheer cost that we've already talked about. But you're right, he is getting a bit of a reputation now for being a a troublesome character. So it'll be interesting how Real Madrid, if that is his long-term destination, deal with that.
1: It's not even a troublesome character, is it, Dean? It's just, it's just so much bigger than everybody else. So how do you deal with that? Unless you literally approach it like the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan or into Miami and, and Lionel Messi. I mean, he is either the franchise or he it's impossible to integrate him into a team. He's not a team game, is it, if Mbappe is part of it?
3: Mm, I don't know. Maybe Asté Champs. he seems to be able to... To, to manage things and manage Mbappe. I know it's not day-to-day, but he seems to it's have done it. slightly different, a, though, a, because there's no
1: money involved there, is there?
3: <laughs> no, there isn't. Not this sort of money, especially. But um, I think if you're a top, top manager, I think you think I'll handle him because I'd much rather him in my side because, you know, like Crookie said, if he came to the Premier League, whoever he went to, he would make that much of a difference.
1: Well, uh, certainly going to make a difference to uh, some banking institution when he starts depositing his new <laughs> uh, found earnings. If he does end up going to uh, Saudi Arabia or whether or not he stays and he gets paid up by uh, um, PSG, watch this space. Let's get the latest from the rest of the transfer window now. Uh, Wilfred Zaha departing Crystal Palace for Turkey is just one of n- a number of stories we've been talking about on TalkSport. Yeah. Shall we start with Harry Kane, though? Because overnight, Sunday to Monday, and then all through the day, Monday, there was lots of talk about how Joe Lewis had said to Daniel Levy, look, if you are not going to get um, him to sign a new contract, then there's no way we're allowing him to go on a free. I think because of the situation that happened with Christian Eriksen, you may remember it a few years ago, they offered him a contract, didn't sign it, he indicated he was going to go on a free, they didn't let him leave in the August transfer window, and then got a reduced fee, in January from Inter Milan. It wasn't very much at all. Um, So I don't think they want that to happen again. They want to maximise what they can get from Harry Kane if he's not going to stay. So I suppose we're in a situation now where someone's just got to pay the money. Are they going to do it, Crook? What's the latest? (laughs)
2: Listen, I don't think anybody's got the definitive answer. Tottenham haven't confirmed or denied those reports that Joe Lewis is personally trying to get involved now to to reach a solution that doesn't see Tottenham lose one of their best ever players, not just their best current player, but one of the best in their history for free. But Manchester United have been linked again. Don't see that happening at this moment in time. I think Rasmus Hoyland is, is their target this week. I would expect that to probably move forward between now and when we speak again, I think they know that Harry Kane, even if Joe Lewis does intervene, is a very difficult deal for a club in the Premier League to get done by a Bayern Munich are not going away. They're going to come back with a third offer to test Tottenham's resolve. Clearly, as we said before, there's been encouragement given from the Kane camp that he'd be open to that move. And now there's talk again about Paris Saint-Germain, potentially if they lose Mbappe, maybe they could target him. So I think all avenues are still available. I think sooner or later, we're going to have to hear from Harry Kane and, and maybe he might be asked some difficult questions about his future because he's He's kept out the spotlight so far this summer, unlike two years ago when he did that explosive interview with Gary Neville. So uh, I think Tottenham fans need to hear from him. I think Poster we were speaking about this with White and Jordan last week, Sam, when we were covering, his tone has changed. He's getting a bit more frustrated and you can see that. So clearly there is smoke to this Bayern Munich fire. Uh,
1: Dean, as a footballer, Who's been in a situation where you know a transfer is coming or your contract is running out, what do you do in this situation? If you're Harry Kane, are you advising him now? Keep your mouth shut, see what happens, we'll take the best offer that's on the table.
3: I think now, yes. I think he tried to do I think the the Gary Neville interview was that was him trying to be um, you know, sort of disruptive in, in his own way without it actually being a I'm not lit I'm not coming in, I'm not even training. You know, put me with the kids. He's he's not that type of person. You can tell he that did he did turn tell up he, late, didn't he, last summer? He did he, come back he, late. And I, I his, know, but he's he, you can you can tell he's really not that type of person, and he does have a great relationship with the club and with the fans. But you know, this is a big decision. It's a massive decision in terms of, and, and only people behind the scenes will know what's really lined up and what maybe is lined up if he was to see out the contract. But it does feel very much like the Tottenham way of doing things. Now, if Poster, uh, Poster was to lose Kane really late on, if Bayern or suddenly Manchester United or PSG came in late with a really good offer and then sold him and left him without Harry Kane, I think, again, that would be you know, a disgusting situation to leave a new manager in. Whereas, actually, they could have done a deal nice and early, given him some funds to go and get a striker. It's obvious. I guess the the issue with Manchester United, I think, all along was that they want top four again. And Manchester United are right there in their way and they're almost helping them to a top four spot. But, I mean, that just seems the most obvious transfer in the history of transfers.
1: But then, as you've already said, you're strengthening a rival. So Tottenham don't want to do that unless they... They really have to. The issue is absolutely spot on. We've mentioned it on the on the programme. What happens if you get to August the 31st, Bayern Munich come in with £115 million, which is roughly well, €115 million, Euros, which is roughly what they want, uh, Tottenham Hotspur, maybe a little bit more. And then Daniel Levy goes, right, OK, yeah, I'll take that now. And Ange Poster goes, well, hold on a second. That means I've now got Richarlison up front and that's it. Um, and I haven't got time to get a replacement in. What happens then? So is it in their interest now just to maybe lower their price, Crook?
2: Possibly when you put it like that. But I guess the, the question is how many millions potentially is Harry Kane going to be worth to Tottenham this season? If, as we think, I, I think we all think that they're going to get better under Postecoglou, And if Harry Kane is the difference between qualifying for the Champions League, maybe winning a trophy or not in both instances... And is it, is it worth cashing in? I, I totally understand where you, you're coming from. I think actually th- the, the bigger thing here is that Daniel Levy needs to make a decision in collaboration with Joe Lewis. It's the 25th of July as this podcast is being released. And the decision they make now, I think, needs to be the one they make come the end of August. They either decide now to sell Harry Kane or they decide, actually, we're going to keep him. And if they do get that big money offer at the end of August, they need to stick to their guns.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because ultimately, and we've sort of mentioned this before, he's in the same sort of you're in in the same situation as, as 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 PSG. Can you afford to lose this guy on a free? The answer is not really, because if you if if you lose him on a free, you're strengthening rivals, but you're getting absolutely nothing back from it. People say, "Well, you got all those goals. He did more for you than anybody else," and I totally appreciate that. But this is a business, and Tottenham Hotspur are not in a great position in terms of uh, having loads of money swilling around because they've just built a new stadium. So they need to make sure they get as much uh, as possible back. So I think for that reason, I'm starting to come around to the idea that they might sell him this window. And as I've said a 100 times before, if Bayern Munich want him, Dean, they have to get him this time. Because if he's on a free, come next summer, he ain't going Bayern Munich.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that is why they're pushing, because they clearly feel like there is a chance of of getting Harry Kane it's just at what at what price i mean crookie what why don't manchester united see this as an unbelievable signing it's he's not he's not 35 years old he's still pretty much up barring injury of course which can happen to anyone he could still give you another four or five seasons of 30 goals a season i, I that's what i don't understand is how it, like you said it keeps coming back from the Manchester United camp that they're not interested in a Harry Kane that doesn't make sense I think uh, Sir Alex Ferguson goes no this is the perfect opportunity to go and get you know one of the the best if not eventually the best Premier League striker we've, we've ever seen.
2: Well I think it can only be because they've received very clear messages from Tottenham right since the end of last season throughout the window that whatever happens we're not going to sell Harry Kane, to you. Now, obviously, there is a history of uh, the two clubs doing business. You've got Dimitar Berbatov, Teddy Sheringham, Michael Carrick. But maybe it's a reflection that the current hierarchy at Manchester United aren't quite as good at getting those deals done as as maybe their predecessors were.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, maybe Daniel Levy's fed up of selling his best players to to Manchester United and he's just like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. And I, he also, listen, if you're going to sell it to Manchester United, he's going to ask for a massive premium. It's going to be 150 million quid. There is the other side of the coin here, isn't there? That maybe Eric Ten Hag thinks, oh, I'm not entirely sure he fits into my way of playing. Maybe he's not the type of striker that I want at the top of my formation. Is that possible, Dean?
3: Oh, why? <laughs> like... He he can be kind of what you really want him to be. I think I think Kane. And when I when I watch Manchester United, and clearly he's not pushing then, hard for it, is he? I mean, because he does, he's pretty vocal about. What... I agree with that. I agree that maybe it isn't Ten Hag who is trying to trying to push. But when I've watched Manchester United and they've played under Ten Hag and they've used Veghorst as this target man, come shut. Well, hang on, Harry Kane's probably the best at it. Yeah, but world. that's when they he's were not, playing you know,
1: with David De Gea in goal, and they weren't playing the system that he really wants to play. I mean, they, you know, when he when he gets his team in tune, he wants to have a team that presses high from the front, defends high up the pitch, and uh, almost sort of replicates how Liverpool sort of played, and, You know, in opposite half, winning the ball back after three or four seconds, and playing in opposition territory. May, may, maybe he's got a vision of Manchester United, which isn't based on. 36 games last season. It's actually based on the first two where they weren't good enough to be able to do it.
3: Well, good luck to him if he's if, if that's the way he wants to go. But I just think if, if Harry Kane's available, if I'm a Marcus Rashford, a Garnacho an Anthony, he is the absolute dream to play with. And he would guarantee your goals as well. I'm playing devil's advocate because I can't, I, I can't really answer your question
1: as to why that isn't happening. I mean, it, it can only be that they don't think he is worth spending 150. Oh, he's not. The value isn't there for to spend 150 million quid on him, Crook. Can you, can you understand that?
2: Well, there's no resale value, is there? What is he 29 coming up, Harry Kane? So they're going to have to give him a five year contract that make him 34. There is a
1: geezer who plays in Japan who's in his fifties or something, and you know he played <laughs> on very, very late. Um, Teddy Sheringham played to his 40-something, and Harry Kane keeps telling everyone he'll play to his 40. So you never know. There might be resale value, just not very much.
2: Yeah, not very much being the key, and they're still very aware of, of, of FFP restrictions. I don't know if they could afford £130 million for Harry Kane in one hit this summer. My guess would be they probably couldn't. Ten Hag does have a bit of a spot for Hoyland. It's him who's leading the drive for this young player. He obviously sees something in him that maybe he thinks he doesn't get from Harry Kane. Maybe it is the, the pressing. Listen, only only time will tell, but my bigger hunch would be that Daniel Levy has just said under no circumstances do we sell Harry Kane to Manchester United. And they spent all of last summer trying to get a player in Frankie de Jong that ultimately wasn't going to happen. And maybe they've learned their lesson.
1: Maybe um, Wilfried Zahar is not staying at Crystal Palace. He was training there, despite the fact that his contract ran out at the end of June. After eight seasons, he moves to Galatasaray, a move that has surprised a few. Um, what do you make of it, Dean?
3: It hasn't surprised me actually, because I think he would be asking for a a huge wage, and you know he's he's been superb for Crystal Palace in in the way that they play and the levels that they're at. But I'm not sure there's probably been that many, you know, letters through his, his 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 letterbox to say, you know, we really fancy taking you on the wage that I think he's looking for. And that's why I think he is going to, to Galatasaray, because I think it's a place he's probably looking at maybe getting the biggest, the biggest wage that, that he can. When, when you're in that position on a free, that is, and it tends to be what you're looking for.
1: Uh, Crook, is that how transfer business is done now? People post little bids through your letterbox and you open <laughs> them up, and whichever one is the biggest, you accept. Not that I know. Kind of like I think he might have
2: gone back to about the nineteen sixties there. But we we had a really, <laughs> we, had, we had a really good debate with this uh, on Monday's uh, White and Jordan show with Darren Ambrose. He claims that Wilf Zahar is the best player the Premier League has outside the top six, uh, and I said, well, if he's that good, you know, why is he not staying in the Premier League? I, I think Dean's right. I think the calibre of, of offer just hasn't been there. I'd have stayed at Palace if I was Wilf Zaha. I understand that Galatasaray a massive club in their own right in Turkey. Yes, there's European football, but they've got to come through a couple of qualifiers to make it to the group stage at the Champions League. Last time they were there, they failed, They crashed out in the second qualifying round. So it could be that he doesn't end up in the Champions League group stage. And what an opportunity to underpin his legacy at Crystal Palace by signing this new contract and probably seeing out his career
1: there. He's probably got a legacy at Crystal Palace anyway and Galatasaray are a huge club in in Turkey, Istanbul. Yeah, and you, you've been there, you had a great time there. You you enjoyed yourself there. Your profile picture of you is you in, in Don't ta- don't take so, the
2: tube. Yeah. Don't take the metro, Wilf. That's my advice.
1: I don't I, I don't think he will be taking the metro, <laughs> funnily enough. Um I think he's got enough dosh to have a driver. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice city to live in for 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 a player of his wealth. I'm sure he'll have a great time there. Um so Maybe he just wants a, a change of scenery. Maybe he wants to feel as if he's appreciated. And there's a prospect of playing European football. You might scoff at the idea of them having to come through a couple of qualifying rounds, but even, even so, that's that's more than Crystal Palace have got in terms of chance of getting into to Europe this summer. So there's every chance that they get themselves through. Good luck to him and good luck to them. Aston Villa have broken their transfer record to sign Musa Diaby from Leverkusen. Big signing this uh, on big money and under um, the radar a little bit because I think a lot of people were thinking that he might go elsewhere, Crook.
2: Absolutely. He's a player who's been linked with the Premier League on numerous occasions. I think Arsenal had a passing interest last summer. Newcastle has been mentioned as a possible destination this year. This is another really good signing, as you say, for Villa. Did he get 17 goals last season for Bayer Leverkusen? Obviously, that doesn't always translate. We've seen it with the likes of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz that if you're banging goals in for fun in the German league, you might not necessarily do it in the Premier League. But I think this is a signing that's really going to excite Aston Villa. And it just underlines why I think they, they are going to be somewhat of a, a dark horse this summer. They've signed Pau Torres as well. And they've still got Diego Carlos to come back from a nasty injury as well. So he'll be like a new signing. I think Villa are in great shape.
1: Yeah, uh, it was nine goals and eight assists in uh, the uh, League. 17 goal involvements, I thought it was. Uh, 14 goals in all competitions uh, from 48 appearances. Uh, But not too bad. Um, Dean Ashton, Dan Juma signs uh, for Everton after rejecting them on deadline day. On deadline day, he put the kit on and everything. um, Had a a little picture, said, I'm going to sign here. It's going to be great. And then went, actually, do you know what? I fancy Tottenham a little bit more. Um, Went off to Tottenham and uh, didn't really do much. Then he's gone back to Everton again. How long will he stay for this time, do you think?
3: <laughs> Definitely a lot longer. Um, look, I, th- I do think this is a good signing. I think there's a an excellent player in there, uh, Villarreal. I thought he was he was very good. Um, didn't really get given a chance, did he at, at Tottenham? But they need signings, Everton. They're absolutely crying out for some <laughs> attacking creativity um, and and some threat. And I think if bodies, they can, anyone, bodies, anyone's yeah, got a pair of and, boots. In-
1: Hampton <laughs> um, Park area, quick, get in.
3: Yeah, no, I, I do. I do think this is a, a a decent signing for Everton and about where they're at in terms of the the type of player that they rec- they could recruit.
1: Um, Dean, uh, you're wearing a Bayern Munich top today. Um, have you uh, had a medical at Bayern Munich <laughs> and posed for photos? He and, there? and you're <laughs> going to change your mind. <laughs> Bayern Munich vets or something like that. <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. No, I've just, I've actually, I've actually borrowed this off my, off my lad. I think you know, it's quite, you know, it's quite trendy, isn't it, to have these, these is retroy, it? retroy tops on. Apparently, apparently that's all think the, the rage.
1: I and 17-year-olds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For middle-aged gentlemen, I'm not sure, but I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, uh, <laughs> talking middle-aged gentlemen, Raul Jimenez is going to, uh, to Fulham, Crook. Why?
2: It's a difficult one to answer that. I mean, he's going because I think they're planning for Mitrovic to go to Saudi Arabia. But you've got to say, based on what we've seen from Raul Jimenez for the past couple of seasons, it's a real downgrade, isn't it? He's just not looked the same player, unfortunately, since he suffered that horrible head injury. I think Wolves have known for some time, probably since last summer, that that maybe it was time to move on. He's a big cult hero amongst the Wolves, faithful for what he's done in the past, but yeah, it's, a, it's an odd signing from a Fulham perspective. I don't see that uh, it's necessarily a like-for-like replacement if indeed he is coming in to, to fill the void left by Mitrovic.
1: OK, we're going to go through uh, the squads of Wolves and Newcastle and see what they uh, might be up to in the not-too-distant future. But first of all, let's get stuck into some of the action on the pitch. A host of Premier League sides met in the USA over the weekend.
0: Cool fact. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at Labrooks.com. 18+. be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, let's just lay it on the table right now, okay? Let's just put it out there so that we all understand where we're coming from at the start of this debate. Because I'm going to say some stuff about Chelsea, I'm going to say some stuff about Brighton, I'm going to say some stuff about Man United and Arsenal over the course of the next few minutes, right? It's pre-season. And pre-season is not irrelevant, but it is not very relevant. Right, Dean?
3: Absolutely, yeah the only thing players are bothered about is am i fit where or where I want to be in terms of fitness come the first day of the season i i appreciate you can have players that see this as an opportunity to maybe start the season in the first game if there's an injury here or there and they've done really well in pre-season that's the only time, I think it could be important for any player, but the main players who you would expect to start, and they know it themselves, and the rest of the squad know it, they're just doing what they need to do to build themselves up to a point where they're then ready to go on the the, the opening day of the season. I have tried everything when I was a player. <laughs> Barely trained, turned up on the opening day, was great, or was fantastic in pre-season, and then five game drought. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Obviously, you'd rather be going in with some form, but it's very, very irrelevant. Yeah.
1: Um. So, hence why the other thing I suppose you could say you, could, you can work on is combinations, right? Okay, so that's another thing. Preseason is a time to start getting used to each other. So, when the Arsenal fans are pulling their hair out of their very sort of um, I suppose, yellow clad face because they're wearing that bright yellow top that they've all gone and bought from the club store. And it's just basically making them all look like odd stewards. Um, The truth is, is that they shouldn't worry about the combination of Erdegaard, Rice and Havertz because it's not supposed to work on day one. It's got to work in four weeks time when we start the Premier League season, just because it didn't work for 45 minutes in a really hot um, New Jersey afternoon on the first preseason game, which they've played together doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work by the start of the season. Is that right, Crook? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it's a weird one as a fan. Uh, because... You're not going to say that's difficult to answer again, are you? Because that's be the fourth time you've said it. Now,
2: as a fan, I think you watch pre-season and you did it at the weekend as well. And if your team lose or play badly, you trot out the cliche, well, it's only pre-season. Uh, If they win and play quite well, as Manchester United did in the first half against Arsenal, then you start to get a little bit excited. So I think fans do take stock on what happens in pre-season, maybe more than players and managers. But you're right. You know, I came away from that Arsenal game thinking, well, this midfield combination just doesn't look right to me. But it is very embryonic. So give them time. But having said that, United are going to win the treble, aren't they?
1: Uh, <laughs> I was watching it. We were all watching it on Saturday night, right? So we we're all texting each other. Well, me and Crookie are texting each other. I say, well, yeah. Nobody
2: else got involved in our group chat, really, did they? Just, <laughs>
1: literally, just me and you, as always. I'm <laughs> just having a little chat on our own. Um, and we we're watching it sort of like late at night on a Saturday night. Of course we were. What else were we going to do? Um, and and uh, we were saying, oh, Arsenal started well. and he went, yeah, they have started well. Ten minutes later, we're like, well, what's happened to Arsenal? They've sort of collapsed here. <laughs> Manchester United have taken complete control of the game. All of a sudden, United scored twice. I mean, one of them was a brilliant goal from Sancho. I think probably about three seconds after Crook had said, I've seen Sancho twice this uh, pre-season. He still looks rubbish. And then he scored that particularly good goal. Um, um, it, but yeah, it's it, 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 I don't know. I just can't get too excited or down about it. I watched Chelsea against Brighton. That game doesn't exist in real life. OK, so Chelsea Brighton don't play out a game like that. Because Chelsea, once they get three one up in a Premier League game, they'll shut the door. They'll they'll play a certain way to stop it being as open as it was. They certainly won't let in two more goals after being four one up. Well, actually they would have done last year, but maybe this year they won't. Um but there is a lot to like. The one touch football from Inkunku and Jackson and Mudrick, those combinations, you saw those, they were impressive. But ultimately, again, you know, you're not you're not gonna read too much into it, are you, Dean?
3: No, I think it is slightly different. I guess if you've got that new manager, like uh, Tottenham yeah. or um, or Pochettino in at Chelsea, I think you, you definitely like to maybe look at possible formations and and a style that that he might be looking to implement and, and how that maybe then affects the players within that squad and who he might have his his eye on. I think that is more interesting for supporters. But again, you're right. It's it's you know when you've got new signings, you've got players that have been out on loan. By the way and have come back and have impressed and are now being given an opportunity almost like a, a fresh signing as as well and then all the substitutions you make and the fact that players really aren't bothered and just want to yeah. get through it without an injury all and of that Brighton plays were quite into good it good
1: during that match it might have been you know ultimately could have been it could have been a different scoreline on a different day yeah you have to factor all that in. Uh, don't don't be. Uh, I'm not being sort of uh, spurious either. But Newcastle three, Aston Villa three, Fulham three, Brentford two. All those big scoring games, all taking place in the summer series. You know, come on, it doesn't happen every week, does it? Um, let's continue our countdown to the new season, though, because what does matter is what you've got in your ranks, and recruitment is very important, especially if you're Wolves and Newcastle. <laughs> What do Newcastle need then, Crook? Because they've got Harvey Barnes now at 38 million quid. Good deal for Leicester or good deal for Newcastle?
2: I think Newcastle have paid a bit more than they hoped or wanted to. Uh, We understand the fee is around 38, maybe 39 million pounds, which is a lot of money to spend on a player from a relegated club. You've mentioned it already when we were in the studio last week. His numbers for Leicester were very good, considering they, they did spend most of the season. Battling against relegation. I think he's a very Eddie Howe type signing. You know, if you were to create a a robot of the type of player that Eddie Howe has made a habit of signing over the course of his career, then you would probably create Harvey Barnes. I think he's an upgrade on Sam Maximan. Sam Maximan for me is is a YouTube stroke match of the day highlights type player. If you don't watch him week in, week out and you see him in snatches, you think crikey, this lad's good. But actually, if you if you look at his numbers, they're not particularly impressive in terms of goals or assists. So it upgrades the squad. What do they need? Well, a fullback is their priority. They had another bid rejected for Tino Liveramento at Southampton at the weekend. I think the attraction there is that long term he would be the successor for Kieran Trippier at right back, but he could play in a more advanced position in midfield if needed. He can certainly play at left back, and they don't really have someone to play there week in, week out. Dan Byrne, who's a brilliant club man and and a good footballer in his own right but isn't really you know a a left back he's a centre back so watch that space watch who they might go to in instead of that and I think they want a centre half as well so they'll be the two positions to strengthen now but I don't think we're going to see too many more massive money signings for Newcastle because we know that they're battling FFP restrictions.
1: OK, so they, they bought Tonali, who's an excellent midfield player. Yeah. And, and their midfield looks stacked now. They've got Bruno Tonali, Willock, Joel Linton. They've got young Elliot Anderson, who can be in reserve. And they've got Lungstaff they like because he's got lots of legs. They'll get rid of Matt Ritchie and Je- uh, and um, Hendrick, who's still on the books. The, the issue they've got is they've got a lot of players like this that are still on the books. People like... They've given Paul Dummett a new contract because they just want to give ballast to the squad. They've got um, Kraft, who's been around for ages never done anything. They signed Harrison Ashby, hoping that he would be the long-term successor to Kieran Trippier. Or maybe it was just good value and Dan Ashworth spotted something in him. He might get a resale later on the line. They don't have enough depth in the forward areas in terms of having an attacking midfielder or another right-sided player. Livramento actually ticks a couple of boxes, as you've already mentioned. Because if he stays fit, he can play as a winger or he can play as a fullback on both sides, which strengthens both the sides of the defence. But he's absolutely right, because I was looking at the squad earlier on today. If he wants to do anything, it's got to be a centre half. Because Share and Botman have been brilliant, but below that they haven't got much. No disrespect to Jamal DeSells, Dean Ashton.
3: No, I think I think it's about having cover and having, you know, cover for every single position, especially when they're going to embark on Champions League football, where you're going to be wanting to you know, to then maybe rest the odd player in Premier League games if they can if they can do that. What I do really like about Eddie Howe and, and his staff though is they have kept a certain amount of players that I think keeps a humbleness about them and about their team. You know, the likes of Anderson, the likes of Murphy, um, you know, Almoron, or these these players that I think keep a humbleness to the side, Longstaff. You know, I think these players are really, really important to keep an identity of what Newcastle are going to be when they bring in some of these signings. And actually, he's improved them. So they're good players to bring in in certain moments. Whether that's going to translate to, to the Champions League, I'm not too sure. But I really like the fact that they've done that. Do you think they need a forward? They've got Isaac
1: and they've got Wilson. Do they need somebody else who can either play as an attacking midfielder and can supplement the attack? Um, Anthony Gordon could play as a force, and I did that for the under-21s. But do they need something else in that area? Because when you bear in mind that Izak missed 13 games last season with injury, and Wilson missed eight games with injury last year, and 18 the season before, their injury records would probably be in the back of my mind, suggesting that with the accumulation of games they're about to play upcoming, we need to make sure we've got a plan for what happens if they're not available.
2: I think the problem comes if if Callum and Isak are injured at the same time, because I think you can get away with playing one of those up front. If they're both fit, you could play Isak on one wing and then maybe Harvey Barnes on the other. But you're right, if they are both injured together and miss a number of matches, then I'm not sure that Anthony Gordon as a false number nine is necessarily going to cut it, certainly when it comes to the Champions League and trying to get back into the top four.
1: Um, is he one of your mates uh, Callum Wilson because uh, instead of um, Wilson you called him Callum whereas you called Alexander is Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. <laughs> I've
2: known Callum
3: for a long time
1: know. known Callum oh yeah me and Big Cow um, <laughs> interesting to see where you think uh, Newcastle will finish um, we know that Alex Crookers has a bet with uh, Jim White in which he suggested that Aston Villa will finish above them uh, Dean Ashton um, who will finish higher Aston Villa or Newcastle United
3: I still think Newcastle will and because of the things I've touched on, with the players that they've kept and the mentality, I think that they've got. I think it will be close though. I think it will be very close between those those two clubs. But I think I've I'm really impressed with the Tenali and Barnes. I think they're two they're two terrific players to add to your to your squad. Okay, Wolverhampton Wanderers big summer of change
1: there. Neves gone, Matinio gone, Jimenez going to Fulham. Um, we spoke to uh, Dan Bentley, their, what was likely to be their number one goalkeeper at the start of next season. And he was speaking to us last week about the void left by Ruben Neves. Ruben was a fantastic player. And my first training session at Wolves, all I remember was Ruben Neves being absolutely unbelievable. I think I'd come away and spoke to a couple of friends and family and they were like, oh, you know, who's who's the best player? What was it like playing with Diego? and uh, Adama and, and and all these players well, one of the first things I remember saying was Ruben was just out of this world the way he trained specifically that session especially obviously being my first one he was yeah he saw things that I, that I don't think anybody else saw and obviously his vision was, was fantastic and he was uh, he could pull strings on a football pitch and a, and a great gentleman to boot off the pitch as well so yeah obviously
3: he's left a void but I'm sure that gives some opportunity for other players to step up Um, and I'm sure they will do that.
1: Well, I was having a look through their squad as well and it's not just in that midfield area where they're sort of in need of players. I mean, they've got Traore in there now, uh, Lamina, they used Joe Hodge for a couple of times last season. They've found Charles Gomez as well last season. They're going to use him more. Matthias Nunes is a very good player. Um, They're all sort of young, hungry players. Lamina we've mentioned. Um, It's in the forward areas where I always think they need just a little bit more. Do they think that Sasa Kalidzic is going to come back and be able to be the number one striker crook? Is, is that what they're resting their their laurels on here?
2: Well, I've forgotten about him, um, to be honest. But obviously, he picked up a, a serious injury very early in his tenure. So, yeah, I'd imagine having spent quite a significant sum on him, they they would hope that he can come back and hit the ground running. Obviously, they've got the players they recruited in, in January that they would expect with a full pre-season under their belt to have bedded in and, and to be able to kick on. But I, I fear a little bit for Wolves. I think they've done really well this summer in terms of the finances they've raised from those departures. I don't think actually maybe, with the exception of, of Collins, who they ended up getting decent money for anyway, there are too many players they've sold that maybe you would say, well, I'd have kept him. Obviously, Neves, but I think they've known for a good year or so that he would be leaving this summer. Jimenez, we've touched on. I think Daniel Pedence will be allowed to leave. He didn't go on the pre-season tour Either Triore obviously let his contract run down. So they do look a little bit light. There's a couple of players that we know they're in advance talks for. Uh, Nico Elvedi, a centre-back from Borussia Mönchengladbach. He will be the Collins replacement. Aaron Cresswell at West Ham. They're very interested in him and talking about a a £5 million deal. Obviously, they've um, re-signed Matt Doherty. If they can get the Doherty they had before, that will be a good addition. But I think they're one of those teams wolves this season who, again, are going to be looking nervously over their shoulders because you do wonder where the goals are coming from.
1: Yeah, when I say uh, they've still got Traore, they've got Boubacar Traore, who uh, was on loan last season, who's part of their squad. Yeah, Adama has gone. Um, I'm interested to hear you say that Daniel Pedence might leave. That's quite a surprise. Bear in mind, for a lot last season, he was almost one of their most creative players, Dean. Um, They need a centre-back, don't they? And Alvedi is someone that um, they've had their eye on. But it does look to me like a a squad that's just a a little bit lacking in quality, really.
3: Well, when you think some of the games that they finished with at the back end of last season, they looked, you know, they looked a relegated side for this season almost. And then you've taken out that experience. Um, I know you brought Doherty back in, but you've taken out that experience that I thought sort of held it together. Um, I think it's going to be... So important that they use some of those funds in the right in the right way. I think it can be done because I think there's there is some young, exciting freshness to some of the players. But you've got to have a better spine than right now. If I look at that squad and think, well, what is what's going to be concrete within that team? That's gonna that's gonna mean that they're going to be able to to survive. I think you know you add another another centre back to to the experience of Dawson. You got Kilman as well, but you're right, Sam. They, that, they've not even sniffed a goal for months and months and months, have they? In terms of the forward areas, is is Neto going to be back to what he was before his his injuries? He was I okay with the
1: under twenty ones, wasn't he? Yeah,
3: he what he was okay. Yeah, but I think that's they got to they got to have reinforcements in those attacking areas, and I think if they do that, I think they might have a chance.
1: Yeah, they've got Cunha, who who was okay, but he's never going to score you a bucket load of goals. They've got Guedes, who missed a lot of chances as well over the course of the season. Uh, Huang's been around forever; doesn't score loads. Um, Fabio Silva also went off and played for the under twenty ones. It just, you know, it it looks like a lot of players that have been bought in from elsewhere. That there's not a lot of Premier League quality in there, and there's no real sort of Wolverhampton Wanderers grit and determination that you would sort of associate with that sort of club. Um, maybe I'm being a little bit in the but I think defensively, 1990s, they,
2: they'll, but. they'll probably be okay. If, if they if they were to get Cresswell, that's two decent fullbacks for a club in the lower half of the Premier League in, in him and Doherty. I think Kilman looks like they're going to keep him now despite interest from Napoli. He's a very highly rated young centre-back. And if they do get Alvadi as well, I think they're fine defensively. Sarr, if he stays, is a, is a perfectly reasonable goalkeeper. Bentley actually did quite well towards the end of last season. But you're right, it's the top end of the pitch that's a concern.
1: Yeah, they still got Nelson Semedo.
2: Yes, I believe he's still
1: there. Semedo, they've still got Do- uh, Doherty, Eight Nori, uh Johnny. I think Aiton Norrie's going to go Johnny? out,
2: as neon loan, potentially.
1: Okay, all right. Well, they've got uh, they've, they've got quite a few. So if they're going to get Cresswell, um, then I suppose that sort of stiffens up that left-hand side. Craig Dawson's still there. I mean, there's yeah. not much depth to that squad either. I mean, you mentioned Kilman and Elvedi. If one of those gets injured, you've got Craig Dawson and Totty who could come in to replace them. I don't know. I just think there's a little bit of work to do for Julien Lepetigui, um over the course of the next few weeks of the window. You could tell already at the end of last season he was getting a little bit irate about the financial yeah. situation and he's already brought that up uh, once or twice. We'll see what happens next. What are you smiling about, Dean? Are you going off to another
3: festival or something? <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just picturing Lepetegui after the Brighton game. <laughs> he just uh, it was, with his head in his hand just, just thinking, what is this?
2: Yeah, that
1: was a shocker. <laughs> well, he's he's coming back to it again, and it's not much better this time around. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, that's it from us. We'll remember we'll be back every Monday and Tuesday throughout the summer as we give you the latest transfer news, managerial changes, and more. Um, Alex Crook will be with us next week as well. Dino, have a good week doing whatever it is you're doing. Uh, get go to get your hands up in the air. Big fish, little fish, cardboard box, and all that kind of
3: stuff. Well, I am—I am actually heading to Spain. So, oh, oh are are you? You
2: must be due a holiday. You've not had one for a week or so. Unbelievable. (laughs) You lot, (laughs) honestly. Next
1: next time we see him, he'll be in a Barcelona uh, replica tracksuit instead of the Bayern Munich (laughs) one. We're doing
2: something wrong here, Sam. We we work all the hours under the sun, and the ex-pros like Ashton and Minto just go off on one jolly to another. (laughs)
1: I know, crazy, isn't it? Uh, Crook, uh, keep working hard. We'll see you soon. And, um, yeah, know, we'll see you in the not-too-distant future. Nice one.
0: The Premier League All-Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on talk sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.
3: When you make decisions for your company,
0: you look for the no-brainers.